everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. <clears throat> this episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. I've worked at the temple for about the past decade now, and I can really attest to the quality of the work they do. They predominantly work with the plant medicine ayahuasca, working in the lineage of a group of people called the Shipibo people, uh, who have a really long history of, of working with these uh, sacred plants like ayahuasca. Um, they offer 12-day retreats, working with six ceremonies, and it's a really beautiful opportunity if you feel called to experience the, the learning and healing benefits of working with plants and especially these sacred plants uh, to come and experience that. Um, they work with four different uh, healers, doctors, curanderos, uh, two to three facilitators, which are kind of like the bridge between the guests who come down and the, the Shipibo doctors. Um, they work with uh, herbalists, uh, massage people, yoga teachers. So it's really just an amazing support staff. There's a, a, a really beautiful integration team who helps people once they uh, find themselves integrating that work back into the, the, the real world, as I guess we'll say. Um, so it's a, an amazing place to be, an amazing place to experience these medicines. So if you'd like more information about that, you can check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org. <clears throat> and then also uh, myself and my colleague, Marav Artsy, who I interviewed, I believe, in episode number 28 of this show, uh, will be continuing to run diets. We're uh, in the middle of one right now, although this show is being taped in advance. Uh, so when this airs, we will finish that one in May. Uh, and then we're running uh, another one in September for the month of September. So that's a really beautiful opportunity to come down and to, to really go deeper into this world of plant medicine, to uh, work with trees and, and various plants and really experience the, the teaching, the learning, and the healing that they have to offer. Um, and we're working in the tradition we were trained in, also working with tobacco and trees and uh, in a very particular container uh, to really go deeply into this plant world. So for more information about that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org uh, and also Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. And there'll be a link to those in the show notes as well. Uh, on today's show, I sat down with my friend, my new friend, Leah, um, and she does a lot of work with animals, animal therapy, um, and kind of uh, using animals, especially horses, as a tool and as a bridge to uh, really begin to release a lot of uh, things we may be carrying, traumas, belief patterns, uh, anxieties, depression. Um, and it's a, it's a really beautiful work. It's something that's uh, fascinated me and I've been interested in for a number of years. Um, and that's, that's her work. And so we really got deeply into that, what that looks like, what that entails, why it's useful, why it's beneficial. Um, and then we talked a bit about her life, uh, also a little bit about plant work and how all of these things came together. So uh, it was a really beautiful conversation. Um, I think you all will get a lot out of it. I hope you enjoy it. 
And um, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, if you're able to support uh, in various ways, that's a really big help. Uh, One really good way for the show, for myself, is via Patreon. Um, For as little as a dollar a month, you can sign up, and there's different tiers you can sign up for, and it gives you access to some really nice added benefits, things like early access to shows, Q&As, bonus material. Um, So that's a really big help to me. For and to all of the people who have done that, the the patrons, the supporters of Patreon, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. Um, and if you're able to do that, thank you very much. It's it's very deeply appreciated. Uh, there's also the ability to directly donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. And then if you're not able to do that, um, just simply going on the, the the YouTube page of the Universe Within podcast uh, YouTube page, subscribing to the show, turning on that little notification bell, and liking the video. That may seem like a small thing, but that's actually a really big help in getting this show out to a bigger audience. It really helps with the algorithms. Um, and then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, subscribing to the show, and if you can, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's also a really big help. So I think that's it. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Leah. I'm running out from the maze. Well, cool. Yeah, well, welcome. It's nice having you. Thank you. Um, so I think... I don't know, maybe the first time we met was at a gathering, but um, you're friends with mutual friends of mine. I think Susanna, she really recommended you. Mm. Um, and I knew about you because you you do something quite unique, um, or at least not that many people do it. And maybe you can just talk about that, because I don't even know exactly how to describe it. I, I mean... I've experienced a little bit of your work working with horses, but would you say, like, what what would you call the work you do? Is it with animals in a broad spectrum or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd say the, the base of it um, underlying everything is energy. Um, and but in the way that's like, for me, very practical um, and grounded, like what is the energy that a human or an animal is bringing into the present moment? Um, I grew up working with animals, um, but then got into a whole other journey. Um, and so the spiritual world opened up with working energetically and doing pranic healing and studying really deeply with that. And after doing that for a few years, um, I started working with animals again, doing animal communication, um, training behavior and pranic healing with animals, um, also working with humans And then horses have always been in my life. And um, I had an experience um, where the horses, I had, um, yeah, just a a really powerful moment where I found a a herd of horses and they're like, we're going to do this work together. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but what it's morphed into today is integration horse therapy. So really working with 
people in a therapeutic session to look at patterns, look at where their energy is at, where it might be out of balance, um, and using the horses as a reflection and as a tool. Um, And also using the horses as a way to help ground and calm the nervous system and integrate teachings and lessons that they might have been going through. Um, So yeah, so the work that I do here in the Valley is the um, animal communication, training, healing, and pranic healing, pranic healing for people, and then integration horse therapy. Hmm. So how about a bit about your story? Like, how did you end up in the Sacred Valley? I know you grew up in the U.S., I think in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. What was what was that journey like? Who, <laughs> who, who is Leela? Who is Leah? And how, how, did she, how did she arrive in the, the Sacred Valley? Yeah. Um, it's funny. Someone just referred to you as Leela the other day. I was like, who's that? And, and I was like, you mean Leah? And they're like, yeah, yeah, Leah. I was like, okay. <laughs> same, same, but different. <laughs> we'll go with it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... Into the valleys, uh, particularly, I was living in Zion, Utah, um, and I was doing um, not so much the work with the horses, um, but I was doing like natural horsemanship, learning how to train horses and natural horsemanship, and I was doing the animal communication, pranic healing stuff, and I was also um, a hiking guide, a canyoneering guide. Um, had a partner, a house, um, a side business with him as well, and life in all its infinite wisdom blew it up. It was a bad country song. Uh, within the space of a month, the cat died, uh, the partner stepped out, um, lost the house, lost the job, um, and it really just um, shook me to my core. Um, and and I had a very intense journey anyways, um, years of addiction, things like that. Um, but the, the breakup with Zion, um, left me in a place where I literally didn't know the next step in my life. And a friend of mine actually gifted me, um, a buddy pass for his flights. And so I had free flights um, oh, my dad ended, ended up being sick. So I, I moved back home just to be with my parents and be with my family um, and, and then travel in between. And just kind of like, okay, life, I don't know what this is. Show me. Um, and the first travel that I did, um, I was on Facebook scrolling late at night. And this one woman in particular, like I just saw her and she was doing work in Peru. And I reached out to her and she was doing a retreat. Um, but then it turned out that their movement teacher um, wasn't showing up. And I just had this intuition, like I didn't know this woman, she didn't know me, but I just like, I just heard this voice, like, you need to work there. And so I was like, I know you don't know me, but like, I also do yoga and somatic movement. And like, we talked for like, 10 minutes and she's like, yeah, you're in. Um, really beautiful, powerful woman from Australia. And so I actually came to Munai Sanko, Sachamanai, and taught at that retreat. Um, and then there <clears throat> I met a woman named Caroline who worked with the Quero. Um, and it was just, again, like an instant connection. And I came back a couple months later. I think I went to Nepal in between and worked um, with the Quero um, and permaculture and things like that. And then a client of mine in the States 
wanted to do the first retreat that I went to. And she's like, yeah, I'll pay for you to come, come back with me. So like, I just kept getting called back to this exact area. And then I think the next year I came back and did the Rising Appalachia concert, brought Rising Appalachia in with um, Carolina Revivolution. And, and I just, I kept being pulled here. Um, but I was, I was a little gun shy. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I want to settle down somewhere again. That was, Zion was intense, you know, but life just made it really obvious and easy for me. Um, and so the people that I was living with when they decided that they were moving back to the States and were going to give me their house, you know, I was like, okay, all right. So, so yeah, I actually landed here permanently right before COVID hit. And, uh, and here I am, just mm. taking it all a step at a time. <laughs> we, we talked a little bit the other day, and what was that, what was that calling to, to begin working with animals? It, you had mentioned that you grew up kind of on a farm, a little bit like wild, mm-hmm. I think you used the term feral. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was, was that just always something that you felt really comfortable with, so that there was some connection with animals, that you, you felt there, there was something, I guess, in yourself and maybe eventually something that, that you felt could be shared? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, like for, for better or worse, like my parents just kind of like gave us free reign. Um, and we never had a lot of money, but like this one property in particular was like 60 acres, um, in right on the border of Canada and Washington. And we had horses, dogs, cats, chickens. And I just, I was always just the one with the animals. They made sense to me. Um, I think I didn't have the wording at the time, but I could tell when there was something incongruent with a person. And so it like, I think it developed like a level of like mistrust of like, how do I trust a human? They're saying these words, but I'm feeling something else. And when I was with animals, it was just honest and I understood what was going on. And you could tell in their body language, in the way that they were moving energy with each other. Um, it was just so clear for me. Um, and so, yeah, I spent like my childhood, I trained all of our dogs, I would wander around and I'd have the dogs, the cats, the chickens following me around. I would jump on my horse, no bridle, no saddle. Um, it was always just a place that felt home for me. And I would, I remember I would like go out in the morning, you know, to feed the horses and sometimes chop the ice off of the water. And I would see the coyotes out in the field with the horses and they're like right next to each other, you know, and engaging peacefully. And so I would just watch, like, what are they doing that enables, like, predator and prey to, like, coexist? And you would be able to see, like, even the slightest, like, tension from a coyote and all of a sudden the horses would be like, okay. But if a coyote was just relaxed, they could share space right next to each other, no problem. And so I was already just, like, at a young age, just kind of taking this information in. And watching how the dogs engaged with each other, the cats, the chickens, like, what are those herd pack dynamics? What's going on? And yeah, I mean, as I got older, like I tried to like follow that linear path. I got a vet assistant degree. Um, I trained like at a kind of high-end kennel in Seattle. They trained guard dogs, um, worked with aggressive dogs, um, retraining them. 
um, went to the University of Washington and, and did animal behavior and neuropsychology. Um, and I had like a very clear path of like what my journey with animals and humans was going to look like. Um, and then life again, blew it all up, got in a car accident. I was also coaching college soccer at the time. Um, and yeah, I got in a car accident and couldn't do anything physical. And, you know, I was in college at the time and I was going to do the vet assistant and I, like my whole body was just done. Um, and so that, that was the journey of like, I don't know, maybe seven years of, of just self-destruction, um, you know, victimhood. Why me? <laughs> um, and I worked with animals like off and on through that period. Um, but really I just, I kind of like stopped doing my life path cause I felt so confused about what was happening or what I was able to do. And so, you know, I think I did like, um, project assistant at an energy efficiency company, just got the normal job kind of thing. Um, and they did pop in every once in a while. Like I would do, um, animal training or pet sitting or little things along the way. And of course I had my own like pack of dogs and cats. I had two Bengal cats that I would go hiking in the mountains with and they would just follow me around and Mm. my border collie and... So there was always something there, but that was my journey of, yeah, self-destruction, drugs, you know, let's burn as much as we can to the ground. <laughs> um, and yeah, it took a near-death experience. Um, I got MRSA in my heart um, and yeah, they, I wasn't supposed to live um, and that... And my ex-husband, um, husband at the time, obviously, came into the hospital room the day I, like, landed in the hospital, and he ended it, um, which was, like, I don't know, all of a sudden I felt this sense of freedom, um, like, oh, I can live now. Um, and and that, that near-death experience in him and me finally being able to break, you know, um, our path together it sparked something. Um, and you know, that being said, it was not an easy journey back. Um, I didn't have a desire to use after that. Um, which is, I think was a big gift. Um, my drug of choice was, was heroin, you know, heroin and cocaine. Um, which is actually even funny looking back on it because I was like the nerdiest drug drug addict, like reading Russian literature in my house alone with all my animals. <laughs> um, but it it on some level it also enabled me to feel normal. Like I've always been so sensitive and tuned into other things that I just didn't understand, and it scared the crap out of me. And that kind of was the number that made me engage. I mean, I was highly successful at that energy efficiency company and, you know, more or less supported me and my ex-husband. But yeah, when it was done, it was like, okay, I'm choosing to come back to the body. And that was the, the option that I was given. It was like, you can leave if you want to, you know, there's no judgment. If you come back, you'll find your purpose and you'll be able to help a lot um, of people. And, but yeah, it was a long, it was a long journey back. Um, just all those thought patterns, you know, 
Um, all that stuff just had to be deconstructed, deconstructed, deconstructed. And, you know, at that time, I had my Border Collie Evie, and I had my little Pomeranian Ivan, and they were my team, you know. They were the ones that, you know, basically kept me alive. <laughs> um, and And it was just honestly a lot of like survival and getting healthy again. Um, I did a a bunch of different jobs in between, you know, owned a housekeeping business in Southern California, plant install and design business in Southern California, like just figuring all these things out was a raw vegan chef for a while, you know, and then did it private for a little bit. Um, and then I started, I don't know, like the, the spiritual stuff started getting more and more intense. Um, and I was completely clean at this point, but it would like everything just kept opening up, opening up, opening up. And I didn't have a language for it. Um, I had no way of understanding why I could see someone's dead grandfather right there, you know, and like just this sensory input of like, what is happening? You know, or walking down the street, oh, you were molested at four. Um, or, you know, like <clears throat> all of a sudden really opening up where I'm just like, okay, trees are talking to me. Animals are talking to me, like in very visceral ways. Like as a child, that doorway wasn't open. I just understood animals um, and couldn't have explained why or how. And that, I mean, that in and of itself, that experience was... Um, traumatic. It was highly, highly traumatic. I thought I was going crazy for a while. Um, and I do have this like very logical part of me, you know, so I would like sit down with my sister and be like, I think I'm going crazy. This is what's happening. I don't know how to handle this or manage this. And, um, she's got a little bit more of a spiritual bent compared to my family. And she's like, no, things are just opening up for you. Like, I trust you. I see you. You're doing fine. But there still was like this deep sense of ungroundedness and inability to hold the amount of information I was being given. And so that's when I started, like I ended up working at a um, metaphysical store in Southern California, just because I was like, I have to figure out a way to to understand this. Um, And Pranic Healing found me. They literally would like pull me in after my shift and like do healing work on me. They paid for my first class. They paid for my second class. And then my third class. I'm, I'm very stubborn, not as much as I was then. <laughs> and it wasn't until they paid for my fourth class, which is, it was expensive, where I was like, oh, okay, this is, I should pay attention to this. This is a good modality. This is a good medicine. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, like I mentioned, like I started then doing work with people, like applying the openness with the tools, um, to working with people. And, and then, yeah, I started like, had this moment where I'm just like, I've always loved animals. Like, why am I not doing this with animals? Like, this is my love. And it was almost like that, like, but it's too easy. Like, I love it. Like how I all get paid for this. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, I was in Southern California, but I was going on a walkabout because I would just kind of disappear into the mountains a lot and go backpacking on my own and exploring on my own. And I found this um, herd of wild horses in, I think it was Eastern Oregon. And, you know, I 
got a little closer to the herd, a little closer until I was like right in the middle with them. And this one um, black stallion in particular, he like he was just talking to me. And it was like the most safe feeling in the world with him. Um, and so I asked him if I could jump on his back and, and he was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so I did. And like, we're just like wandering through these fields and the whole herd of horses is like following behind him. And it was like in that moment, that was like that moment where it was like, there's something here for you. Like, this is a work that you're going to do. Um, and again, I didn't have the languaging. Um, I don't think at that point I'd ever heard of horse therapy or knew, known that that was a thing. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it was a lot of like mix and match and explore. Like I worked with kids with autism and special needs um, and horses for a while. And I was like, this is good. But like, you know, I wanted to weave in the the spiritual piece and like, you know, the deeper like emotional work. Um, and so then I kind of switched to, to working with kids, you know, kids with addiction or emotional problems, um, you know, or adults with addictions or emotional problems. That also just felt not quite right. Um, to me, it almost felt like too methodical, like we're going to take the horses and we're going to do this practices and this is the therapy that's going to get us to this breakthrough. Um, and it, it's beautiful. It works, you know, but it's like, okay, not quite my thing just yet. And, um, and yeah, and then did a little bit of work, um, particularly with horse therapy, but really that was like, all just play, you know, I was more focused on like the, you know, the intuitive stuff and energy stuff with humans, the animal communication, um, training and healing um, training and behavior. Like that was just my, like, wow, this is fun. This feels good. I want to explore it. Um, and so, yeah, it actually wasn't until I came to Peru, um, like I bought my own horse, um, and was working with him, um, to try and see if I could get him to be a therapy horse. And then halfway through COVID, it was just like, this is not a good fit. Um, and ended up finding a guy here who's got nine horses. And, um, I mean, that herd of horses, as soon as I met him, I mean, for one, they told me like, take everything you've learned and throw it out the window. Um, and like, just listen, you know, like we're going to be doing some weaving together. And, and so, yeah, that was the, the birthing of like the integration horse therapy. Um, just life decided it was time and this is the medicine that needed to happen here. And, um, it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant for me to see, I don't know how quickly people can go to the roots of some things, um, because they're seeing a somatic physical reflection. It's no longer just like a mental construct. Um, it's something that's literally being played out, a dynamic that's being played out with the horses. Um, or just the simple fact of like, go and sit with them and like, let your body and your nervous system rest for a little bit, like find that safe space. And there is something about horses that you just slow down and you feel safe in your body again. Um, and for me, especially just being so sensitive, like that's been the medicine they've given me. Like sometimes still, like I continue to work and strengthen my energetic boundaries, but like sometimes I'm still just getting so much information that like, I'm just like, 
oh, okay, how do I hold this? And I just go and sit with the horse and I'm like, okay, back to the present moment, back to breathing, back to just simple. You, you were saying about this idea that you, you, there was a, a period in your life where you were feeling like super open, super sensitive, almost like you were going crazy, um, which I, I think is kind of a common experience for a lot of people who are, I don't know what the word is, but drawn to like this type of work to, to some degree, working with energies or spirit or mm-hmm. consciousness, the, the human condition. You mentioned pranic healing, that that was something that, that was like a tool that began to help you. How would you describe that? Mm-hmm. I would imagine some people maybe heard of that. I would imagine probably a lot of people haven't. Yeah. Um, the thing that I actually love the most about pranic healing is that it's really, really balanced. It was created by a man that was a businessman. He was an engineer. Um And he got to a certain point of success, and then he started just diving into spirituality um, and really exploring and going to all these different healers and shamans with these clairvoyants and seeing what are they actually doing. When they give healing to a person, what is the science that's actually going on? Is there a pattern? Are they moving energy in specific ways every single time for this ailment, for this mental idea like you know he really broke it down and that structure for me gave me a framework to logically understand energy to not have it be just some ethereal thing that's like you know and no offense but like oh I'm just giving universal love you know it broke down okay there's an ailment with the kidneys um, or in the liver or a broken bone or there's schizophrenia or addictions. What chakras do you need to work on? What, um, what's the protocol? There is a practical way to energetically bring balance back into the mind, body, and emotions. And so, yeah, that for me was like so like a breath of fresh air. Like it no longer had to be something that was almost ungraspable and I just had to trust it. You know, it was like, nope, they have this, you do this protocol, boom, 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 boom. Oh, and they're getting better. Okay. And, and that, especially in the beginning, it just gave, yeah, my brain a way to like focus like the enormity of, of what I was experiencing. Um, and like, as you go up like higher and higher in pranic healing, it's not just healing work. It's a spiritual path. Like, are you practicing honesty? Are you not being lazy? Um, you know, so it's very clear as well as like, you need to be a good person. If you're going to hold this medicine, you need to be in alignment. And, and that as well gave me a really good framework to how to navigate in the energetic spiritual world in a way that felt like it was an integrity. Um, and, and yeah, it just honestly just kicked my butt in a lot of ways too, you know, because it's like all those little pieces that were out of alignment. Um, I had to, uh, yeah, clear, clear out, get in alignment and, and be a good, solid, strong human. Um, if you want to do that work and you want to do it on that level, you, you really have to be grounded in reality as well as connected to other realms. Um, 
so yeah, that was really helpful. Like the teachings of balance. So what is what does that look like? And 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 how would you describe how would you describe energy? And, and what does that practice look like if you're if you're working with someone? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So so let's say I'm working on a client long distance. I'll have them send me a picture, and what I do is I'll literally scan. Um, scan the chakra systems, Um, is there congestion, right? So it's almost like moving your hand through mud a little bit, you know, or is there a depletion? Whoa, okay, that's like almost like hollowed out versus like a nice, clean, balanced energy, which just feels like hmm, nothing, no obstructions, no depletions. So I might scan, you know, the crown, the ajna, the throat, um, and then I might go into the internal organs, is there something actually going on with the internal organs, kidneys, liver, um, and scanning all that. And as well, um, really scanning for cords, you know, um, is there some sort of connection with another human, um, with maybe an institution where it's blocking the energy flow? Um, and so once I do like that basic scan, then I'll just basically start doing the work of like, realigning, clearing, and balancing. Um, I kind of like, I like to explain it like a garden. If you have a garden um, and you just pour fertilizer on everything, what's going to grow? Everything. Pranic healing is a lot more like we're just going to go in and weed. You know, we're just going to weed out the things that maybe aren't serving, aren't supposed to be there. And then your body naturally knows how to then cultivate and grow the things that it needs to without all of the the stuff in between. Um, Because you already have those good seeds. You already have those things inherently within you. Um, They're just getting choked out by by maybe anxiety or low self-worth, you know, or even your liver might be able to fully function, but there's just, you know, 40, 45 years of who knows what, maybe a disease, maybe hard living, you know, and that, that stuff can get accumulated. If you clean that out, your liver then has the ability to start repairing and healing itself. And so a lot of it is just doing, doing clearing. Um, and it's, it's nice. Cause like, you know, I mentioned that I did enjoy the structure of pranic healing, but it also gives me the space to, to, and this is the same with animals as human, you know, I'll do the same scan. If it's in person, I'll do it in person. Otherwise I use a picture. Um, so I can scan what's going on energetically. And then sometimes like something comes in, like just straight from intuition, straight from a higher knowing, Hey, there's something connected to the family line. You know, does the family have a history of kidney disease? You know, and that's, there's no way for me to explain it otherwise, other than like, there's just a knowing, you know, and I actually see it with animals too. Um, Sometimes animals are reflecting what's going on with the human. There's actually not anything technically wrong with the animal. They are just mirroring or absorbing what's going on in the person. And so it might be an animal communication and healing session, but it's about, hey, what's going on with you as the owner? Um, what's going on with your family, you know, and it's even been a situation before where it's like, you know, what's going on with this cat? This cat's going crazy. And it's like, all right, well, your dead father has some unfinished business and he's kind of like using this as a medium and tool to like try and get attention. Let's 
rebalance that. Let's cut and clear any cords that aren't supposed to be there so the animal can be sovereign. You know, we can kind of like manage this dynamic. So there's the practical pranic healing and then just kind of all those like doorways that have opened up through all my personal work um, as well. So, so yeah, I don't know that I could like, there's like energy as described through pranic healing. And then there's the energy that I experience in just a basic dynamic with an animal or a human. What are they bringing to the table? What's their emotional state? What's mine? What's yours? How do I not enmesh into that? Um, but also not close off and shut down. Um, and then there's also just you know, the energy of, I don't know that I have the words to explain how I can tune into someone's, you know, dead father or grandfather or, you know, has, you know, talk to a, a, a dog and then it's like, oh, there's something going on with your, you know, marriage, you know, like that to me is just like, I don't know, but it seems to, to work and help people and seems to be on point most of the time. So I just, I'm just going to trust <laughs> I'm just going to trust this wild journey that I'm on. <laughs> you mentioned something really interesting. And often I find with this work, there, there's a lot of this focus on like the ethereal, uh, other realms, like very spacey in a way, very talking about things that we may consider like higher realms or mm -hmm. other realms. And yet, a really common quality that I see in in and maybe it's just personal, but but healers and curanderos who I really respect is they're extremely grounded. Yep. Um, they have the ability to to go to places, but their their day to day activity is extremely grounded. Mm -hmm. And they're they're. I mean, I would never hear anyone say like, you know, I, I'm feeling like too sensitive right now. I can't work. It's yeah. like if you have to work, you have to work. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And kind of this thing you were saying about boundaries or, or you know, where is where is the other person's stuff? Where is my stuff? Like, yeah. and, and you mentioned some really interesting words, like things like pranic healing. It, it taught you how to, like, come to alignment, how, how to find these boundaries, how to find, um, like, this cleaning, this clearing, this alignment, this this wholeness, integrity you mm -hmm. also used. and. And those are words that, that I think are really important in this path, and yet they seem to be very lacking. So mm -hmm. where, do you, where do you feel is that balance? Because obviously, like, that stuff is super important, like that connection, the sensitivity, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the diagnostic, the, the, the felt sense of, like, like, how do I work with these things? Like, what, with that intuition, like, that's a huge part. Mm -hmm. And yet there's this other part, which is really big, which is, like, the groundedness, the alignment, the integrity, you know. I mean, a curandero literally can't work if he or she doesn't have integrity. Yep. Like, if, if I say I'm going to do this and I don't do this, well, then I'm not a healer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's been the, the biggest, like, well, one, it's taken me time. Because, like, for me, my journey, I just got blasted out, you know. Just from that near-death experience, I was completely here. And so it's been honestly work of like literally it feels like getting a rope and like pulling it back to like earth and being on earth and actually learning how to value like the practical things of this journey on earth um and and I noticed too like in the beginning for better or worse if I wasn't grounded and I was doing this really like 
high-end ethereal work, it created an imbalance in my clients and also in myself. Um, more often, I think, in myself, um, because it was almost like an immediate, like, just toppling. If you don't have roots to a tree, it just poof, crashes. Um, and so I really, and integrity, like, if you have power, energy is power, knowledge is power, like, wisdom into these other realms is power. If you don't have integrity, like, it can be so easy to abuse that power. I remember doing, like, intuitive reading stuff at the store in Southern California, and I would just see these people that would subtly manipulate energies. It wasn't even necessarily, like, gross um, or horrible, but, like, oh, I like this cute guy, and so I'm, like, you know, doing all these things. And, and I just remember viscerally feeling that doesn't feel good to me. Like I have more knowledge and more energy and more power. I don't want to use it to in any way alter someone's choice or reality in a way that might be self-serving. Um, and so that was something that just anchored in so strongly. But I think it was also the years of addiction, you know, where it was just like, I don't want to be a person that manipulates in any way just because I can. Um, that does not feel honest. Um, and so really stepping into this path, knowing that it is a responsibility, you know, with that saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, and for me, it is, it's not something I hold lightly in any way. Um, and, and that's why like a lot of my time is spent on self-work, you know, where am I? What do I need to learn? How do I need to get stronger? You know, what do I need to grow? Um, and I would say too, like the horses have been deeply, deeply helpful in energetic boundaries. Um, that's actually a lot of work that I do with them. Um, I learned it by watching dogs and then doing training with dogs, but horses in particular, they are just so clear. Um, if you come in and your energy is all over the place, even if you're just like emotional, but you're not containing it, it's almost like the way that I see it is if you've got all these emotions, but you're like leaking everywhere, like the horses are just going to be like, no, that feels uncomfortable to me. And so they really showed me what it looks like to not make an emotion or an experience go away, but to contain it in a way where... And this is, again, the way that I see it when they show me. It's almost like you've got a um, cylinder and you're moving it up and down. It's contained. You're still feeling it. You're still in your experience, but you're not just splattering it everywhere. And so I noticed I could be emotional with a horse if I was containing my own energy. Um, and noticing, too, that, like, I mean, horses are animals, you know, if you are scattered, if your mind is all over the place, they will react and you can potentially get hurt. So it's a, it's a, like a really hard and fast reminder, like you better be present and you'd better be in your body. If you are not in your body, you could get hurt, you know? And so that like really was like this, like wake up call, like, okay, be here, be in this body, be present. What is your mind doing right now? Where is it? bring it back to this present moment. And even, even that present moment, like the, I have a saying, like horses don't demand perfection, but they do demand authenticity. 
I don't have to show up and be this like pillar of like calm, perfect. I mean, I like it when I'm that way, but it's just not always the case yet. I'm still learning and growing. But if I can come into a space and know maybe I just got in a fight with someone or something just happened that really shook me up, I can still show up to the horses. And even by just simply naming it, yep, I've got some fear right now. I've got some anger right now. That brings me into congruency. I am owning my experience. It's not just, you know, energy that's like all over that the horses are uncomfortable with. It's, it's mine. I can hold it. I have the ability to be present with my own experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I feel like animals reflect that as well. Like not just horses. Horses, it's amplified um, because they are prey animals. Um, so they always have to be aware of like a predator's energy, you know, they're kind of like really tuned in in that way. Um, so for horses, it's amplified, but cats and dogs, it's like the same thing. They are just like these reflections. Um, they also have their sovereignty in their own personal journey, but you can see a lot, you know, I go into work with an animal or a dog and I see what's going on and I have to you know, tell people just so you know, this might become about you, you know, and what your animal is reflecting to you and inviting you to bring awareness into and how to hold your energy in a different way. And it's fascinating because sometimes, whether it's dog training or integration, sometimes it's literally just subtle shifts in your physical body. So it's also, and I like that. I like that it like, you can take something ethereal and make it practical, you know, like, oh, I notice you go into that horse and you're like, literally just like standing like this the whole time. Bring your shoulders back. Bring your body back into alignment. You know, be that channel of like connection to spirit and earth. But if you're off balance in any way, that, that you know, that flow is kinked and an animal can feel that. Um, and so, yeah, even just learning those subtle techniques, you know, or, or like if you go into a space to a dog or an animal or, or a horse, are you, are you invading their space a little bit? Are you going into them, you know, into an animal that's like, whoa, that's, you know, my space, your space. And that's not to say that you don't have deep intimacy. You can actually have deeper intimacy if you're both aligned. You can get that much closer and there's not that enmeshment. You know, people wonder why there's like all these big emotional blowups and things like that. And the way that I see it, it's literally just like the more you learn to hold and contain your energy, the closer you can actually get in those engagements. And so really, I mean, the work with horses too, it's like, how do you find and build deep intimacy while staying safe yourself, making sure the other person, you know, you're respecting and listening to their boundaries, their energy, um, because, yeah, for better or worse, as humans, we have words, so we've learned how to lie, you know. Mm. Um, or we've just completely disconnected from our bodies. Um, and I think sometimes, and I will say this for myself as well, the spiritual journey in the beginning felt great because I didn't have to be in my body. I could go and float around with angels and talk to like ascended masters and like be all up here and like, yeah, fuck, let's not kid. Life can be fucking intense sometimes. Like it's way better just hanging out with this, you know? And, and so for me, it became a bit of escapism, 
you know, instead of learning how to really be present for all of life with all its beauty and for all of its pain. Um, And I think there's a lot of beauty that can be found if you're willing to sit in the entirety of the human experience. Um, Yeah, I mean, grief is a powerful, transformative agent of, of change and evolution if you lean into it. Um, it can break things open in the most beautiful way. It can bring you gifts and beauty. Um, but if you try and bypass it and just go to like, oh, it's good, I'm grateful, it's beautiful. I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but like it's a both and for me. And, and again, animals taught me how to do that. Like, they are highly sensitive. They are super tuned in. They tell me some things sometimes, and I'm just like, (laughs) okay. Um, But they also are very alive in the earth experience. There is death. There is fights. If a horse wants you out of its space, it might kick you, you know? Um, Like, it's very gritty and raw at the same time. And I don't know. I think I learned for myself that just hanging out in the upper realms didn't feel as gratifying as being present for all of it. Mm. Beautiful. There's actually a lot of questions I'd like to ask you about that. One that came up for me a while ago, and it was interesting, I was listening to this podcast of of a guy, like his name is Brett Weinstein. Uh, He has a podcast called Dark Horse. And he's a very interesting guy because he he was like this very kind of left liberal professor at this very like Mm. kind of left liberal college called Evergreen. Mm. And yet then he kind of got attacked in a way. And and it's been interesting because like seeing how his views of the world have changed. Mm. And um, I think something that he's really seen as is very dangerous is kind of this and it's a subject I find very fascinating is kind of this like identity politics, like wokeism thing Mm -hmm. uh, about, you know, like this is who I am. And like, we have to, we have to look at everyone based on their skin color and their eye color and Mm -hmm. their past and their history and Mm -hmm. that that's my identity. And that's Mm -hmm. not only my identity, it's this group identity And, and it can, you know, it may sound good on the surface, but at its root, it's extremely destructive. Um, but somehow, uh, he was he was talking about this and um, kind of about this like racial identity and I forget the logic but he was presenting some argument using animals hmm. and his thing was about racist dogs <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the thing I, I, I remembered and I mean it's something I've seen too and I was wondering from your experience I mean it, it seems like for me. I mean, for example, a place that I work, there was this dog, and he didn't like brownish people. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's because in his youth, he was probably uh, abused by potentially, and it seemed like it was more men, so like a man who right. fit that archetype, and mm-hmm. so he was very aggressive to them. But then, uh, like, I thought it was maybe just that simple. But then, um, and I, I won't mention the person, but but I knew someone whose dog also embodied some of those qualities. And I I can't say that it's true, but I felt like some of those things were actually in that person Mm -hmm. and the dog was responding to how this person felt. Mm -hmm. Like, And I don't think they even knew they felt that way. Because 
in form, they were actually very much the counter to that. Right. Almost like an overcompensation for that. Yep. But I felt, and again, this could be my imagination, but I felt like the dog sensed what that person was actually perceiving and was like doing the action so that that person didn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess my question is like, what do you think is that relationship? Because you were mentioning a lot about this idea of like animals respond to people's emotions. Yeah. And and I would imagine, especially for a lot of like animals that we would consider pets, there's like a very strong bond to the owner mm-hmm. and, and, and how that interacts. And, and I know that's a lot of the work you do too, is mm-hmm. like training people's dogs or their cats, mm-hmm. like if they are having problems with it, whether it's they're too aggressive or maybe right. they're, they're not responding. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that one, like it's interesting because... What I see is like, um, it's almost like we have these computer programs, right? That's the way I see it. We have these like programs of like belief systems, thoughts that are passed down maybe from our family, maybe from society, um, maybe past lives, who knows, you know? And, And it creates this like energetic template in this energetic grid, and what's interesting is we often will call in an animal um, that might match it um, because of their own traumas and stories um, or experiences. Um, or other times, the animal over time will start to adapt to that energetic grid that we have and mirror and reflect what's going on in us. And to an animal, like, again, it's weird because I don't know how to explain it. Like, there are times when I literally can feel how an animal senses and perceives the world, how they smell things, how they're perceiving someone's like energy when they show up, how they're literally feeling an energetic frequency of say, you know, I don't like brown people. Maybe that person is even consciously aware of it, but it's like, it's like a little computer program and it's got an energetic resonance and that animal just can like unconsciously feel it and then express it. Cause it's just, it's an unowned experience that wants to get played out. And so a lot of the work, like, I mean, I'll do energy work on people and humans, but a lot of it is also just consciousness and awareness. If you can bring it into someone's consciousness that this is what's alive in them, and just like with the horses, you don't have to be perfect, but like, be authentic. You're right. I am angry right now. You're right. I really don't like that person. Please you know, I, I own that that's my stuff. You don't need to pee on their clothes, <laughs> you know, even something as simple as that, like animals pick up on that. But if we can own our experience and bring consciousness and light into it. And to me, like, I know those words might sound ethereal, but the way that I see it is literally like, we have all these like programs going on. And if we can literally just like shine a light bulb on it, like that alone has the power to just transform and take the power out of it. I don't even always know that we need to do anything other than just be like, oh, yeah, nope, nope, you're right. I am playing out this dynamic right now. This is something that's reminding me from my dad in childhood, and I'm doing this. You know, even that ownership, not only does it bring healing to us and the people around us, but like it does the same thing for our animals. Um and then, yeah, sometimes there are the, the tools that need to be used, the energetic healing to like, okay, you guys are really meshed. Let's, you know, separate your fields. So you have a little time to like, oh, this is who I am. This is who I am. 
Um, you know, or it might be like actual training. You know, if you have a dog that's fearful, um, you might need an owner who needs to like actually learn how to hold and take up space, you know, instead of also shrinking their energy. Um, so it's like, it's all these different tools in every situation, which fascinates me. Like, I love that I have all these different resources to like, just kind of like, Oh, okay. Small adjustment here, small adjustment here, small adjustment here. Um, and yeah, animals are such brilliant teachers. If we can like actually tune in and pay attention, like, Oh, what are you, what's going on with this one? And I will say there is the like idea that animals are always mirrors, um, I think that's true to an extent. Um, animals also are, all their, are their own sovereign beings. And in my experience, what I see is that they are also souls that are coming in, incarnating specifically in dog, cat, chicken, bird, whatever form, to learn specific lessons. They're looking to evolve and grow too. Um, you know, and, and there are times when it's like that animal may have been a human in a past life and didn't learn a specific lesson and so needs to learn it particularly in this form you know the the things that keep getting shown to me like constantly kind of like I'm just like oh, who knew <laughs> um so I don't know I think a lot of the work that I do too is like I'm just trying to stay grounded curious you know open and and stay practical through it all as well <laughs> do you think because you were speaking a lot about horses, do you think there's something that, that makes them more powerful teachers, maybe in a way, just just purely based on the physical size and and the and the strength? Mm-hmm. Because that's something I always notice when I when I am close to a horse is if I'm not, I'll just think, oh well, it's just a horse, and it kind of has skinny legs, and it's big, but it's not that big. But when I'm close to them, like, I really feel like, as you said, like, if I'm, if I'm not present, like, it could hurt me, Mm -hmm. like, it could bite, it could kick, if Mm -hmm. it charged me, like, Mm -hmm. my physical presence is diminutive Mm -hmm. in in respect to a horse. And I mean, I was just thinking, I would imagine to some degree, you know, maybe even like certain dogs that are very powerful, like a pit bull or, Mm -hmm. or some other breed of dog, like it commands... I mean, I even notice, like, if I'm around a pit bull, like, I'm much more aware of myself, like, Mm -hmm. whereas if I'm around, like, a small dog, I I don't even think about it, or Mm -hmm. maybe a cat, you Mm -hmm. know, like, I'm never worried that a cat is going to attack me, or that it's just something I don't even think about. So do you think that's, that's maybe there's something about just that, that, that size and the presence of something like a horse that really is different than the relationships we would have because most of the relationships it seems with animals are either with animals that are smaller or, or just very docile in a way. Like, like probably a lot of people have a relationship with cows maybe, but cows are just very docile. I think in that same way, they, they don't necessarily, I mean, they still can. I mean, some, some cows can be very, it's different though. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Well, I think there's like multiple things going on with that. It is their size. Like their size does, it's almost like when you go out in nature, like, you know, say you're like hiking a mountain or canyoneering, that size alone and being with the power of, you know, mother nature, knowing I could die at any moment 
it's kind of like a wake-up call. I need to pay attention. Like, where am I in the scope of this universe? You know, and for better or worse, like, as humans, we kind of have domain over a lot of things. And we're not always reminded of our humility. Um, And so a horse's size alone is a reminder of that. But they also, you know, I was like thinking about it when you were talking about like cows, you know, cows are more or less the same size. What's different, you know, and, you know, another thing that makes horses so powerful is that they're prey animals, but technically so is a cow. And I think there is something, and again, this is the part that I don't know that I could put exact wording to, but horses are highly intelligent. Um, They're deeply aware um, in a way that I don't know that I would say a cow is. Um, Not that they're not aware, but horses have a, a sensitivity that is so refined that it's almost like not only are you in you know, a stall with this giant animal, but you're with this animal that sees you to your core. (laughs) You can't hide anything. You know, maybe it's just that cows are more forgiving. They're like, "Eh, whatever. (laughs) But a horse is just going to see what's going on. You know, you can't hide if you're afraid. You can't hide if you're sad that day. And so that alone, it, it is, it invites a vulnerability. Um, you know, and, and people don't have to go there, but you also aren't going to have a deep connection with a horse. When people come in and a horse sees them and they start to get vulnerable, maybe the person gets uncomfortable, you know, and I'm like, no, this is okay. Go to that place. Be present with what that emotion is in you. And then you see the horses just like, it's like they link up with them. And it's like, okay, I'm willing to be present with you in this experience because you're willing to be present with yourself. And so they also just, I don't know, they have this, I have no other word for it than magic. Like there's just some consistent work that I've done with horses where I just, I see it over and over again. And I'm like, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know if science has a way to explain this. Um, Because yeah, there is the size and that humility it brings in, and there is the intelligence and the high level of telepathy that horses do engage, and and also there is just something that happens sometimes that there's no words for, and I don't know, I I think I kind of like it that way. (laughs) There's a lot of beauty in the mystery and, and not knowing how to label and define everything. You mentioned when you you were in Oregon or somewhere, and <clears throat> you you came across this a pack of wild horses herd, herd. yeah. yeah. Um, and it, you you kind of entered this dialogue with this one stallion, and and eventually, like he let you take his back. And you said something the other day that I, I had never really thought about, which like for a horse, that's a really big deal because mm-hmm. that's how a predator would attack them. Like yeah. a, a game cat would, and, and that, that kind of jogged my memory of when I have seen horses being attacked, it's like a cat or something will jump on their back. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was a really interesting kind of thought for me is that like, that's kind of a big deal yeah. is when a person like goes in the back of a horse because I could see how that's like a very vulnerable thing Mm -hmm. what do you think is that that relationship of of like building a trust between a a horse and a human is um, because it seems like and again maybe it's 
the horse's personality. Maybe it's something they sense in the person. Maybe it's a combination of both. But that certain people do have that ability to to connect with a horse and and to go on the back. And and then other people, there's always just this hesitance, maybe on the part of the person, on mm-hmm. the part of the horse. So what do you think is that process like of like beginning to, to build that trust? And and do you think that's even a good thing, like like beginning to work with a horse in that way? Yeah. Because um, I, I would imagine there's there's some positives and negatives on, on that as well. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I feel like horses reflect the kind of relationships that we have as humans. If we're actually tuned into that sensitivity, um, you know, you can have a partner and maybe you're sharing the same house or finances together, but are you actually a team? You know, and you can have a horse and you can put a bit in a saddle on him and ride him, you know, but are you actually a team? Is there that trust that's built? And so for me, and it's the same thing with working with other animals. It's like, how do you build intimacy, trust, connection so that you actually are partnering? Um, And not in a way where anyone has any sovereignty taken away, but that you have two equally powerful and intelligent beings that are choosing to do something together. And I think the basis of that is one, go slow, um, and then consent, you know, and, and not just verbally. Um, it's easier to just tune into what's going on energetically with an animal and figuring out where that consent is. And I think that's why some people are more inherently better with animals. They have maybe a level of sensitivity, um, to, to what's playing out. Um, but if you, build that relationship of trust and consent and going slow, then there's less room for jarring things to happen that might break trust. Um, And so like as an example, you know, like, and I know I explained it to you, but if you have a horse here or even a, a dog or a cat, you know, like as you approach them, notice when you hit their energetic field and they might give you a look you know, or a tail flick or an ear, like, hey, you just came into my space, you know, and and so instead of just like, one, not even being aware of it, or just like noticing, but plowing on in, you know, like, that's like, okay, that's a little invasive. Hi, welcome. (laughs) You know, you're coming into my house all of a sudden. So you notice that outer energetic boundary, and you pause, and you take a little step back. Oh, okay. I see this is entering your personal space. I see you. I hear you. I respect you. You know, and then you might just kind of read the situation. Does the horse relax? You know, um, does the the cat or the dog relax? Does the human (laughs) relax? You know, um, just noticing subtle cues in the body. Maybe the physical body relaxes a little bit. Whereas before you're like, oh shit, someone's coming to say hi. (laughs) You know, um, okay, they relaxed a little bit, so maybe you get in a little closer. And then you might hit another layer. And, you know, you can feel like, oh, that's a little too close. Okay, step back. Let's just go slow. Let's just, do we actually want to engage? You know, just because we're in front of each other doesn't mean we have to engage. Let's actually tune in to what is authentic for both of us 
you know, so honesty, being honest with where you're at, you know, and that might be the case where the horse is like, all right, peace out. I don't want to hang out with you, (laughs) you know? Um, and I think on my journey of becoming a more honest human, when humans come into the field, I, you know, I've started doing that too. (laughs) No, not today. (laughs) Maybe I'll put headphones in, you know, um, just the permission to be honest. Um, but yeah, and then you might come in a little bit closer and you hit that field again, you know, and is there a reaction? If so, you again, you pause and you take a step back. And if not, then you see if you can come in for that deeper intimacy and connection. Um, you know, and then from there, like, what do you guys want to do together? You know, do you want to just pet the horse and be with the horse? Um, maybe the horse actually desires to go and partner with you. And so you, you do see what happens if I put my hand on its back. What happens if I put one leg over you know, and you just, you move slowly and you pay attention to what feels good for each partner in that relationship. Um, and I do, I do feel like there's something that powerful happen that happens for both, for both a horse and a human, um, when they connect deeply in that way, when they actually do something together that they could have never done separately. Um, If that relationship is built and there is that intimacy and connection and communication and trust, you know, then there is something that I I do see as really powerful for both. Um, It's just like an animal, you know, a dog. You can have a dog that just chills with you and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, you know, say you have a hunting dog or a herding dog where you guys are literally pairing up as a team to achieve a bigger goal. Um, Like... I don't know. I think that's part of the beauty and magic of life. You know, we can do things separately, but when we actually team up and we're on that same wavelength and we're communicating, like it's beauty, it's a painting. Um, so yeah, I, and, and that's the thing too, like how do you, if you're going to partner up with a human, what are the cues that you're not paying attention to? You know, and then you might point your finger down the road and be like, you're doing this, you're doing this, but there were cues, you know, maybe they actually physically said it, or maybe they were giving you physical cues and they were communicating the whole time. You know, there's a lot of things that can be avoided um, if you start actually paying attention and notice, you know, Um, and for better or worse, you know, not everybody knows how to use their voice. Maybe a human had their own personal trauma um, where they weren't allowed to speak up for themselves. I mean, as women, for better or worse, you know, we're taught to just like smile and laugh if we're uncomfortable, like, okay, okay. Instead of like, just honestly saying that makes me uncomfortable. You know, I'd prefer it if you stop right now. Um, And so, you know, it's not only learning how to be that sensitive to the energetic cues, but in the work in particular, how do you bring your voice into it to actually hold and own your boundaries in a way that makes you feel safe? Because if you feel safe and you try to engage with another human, maybe they're nervous, but then they might drop into safety as well. You know, and on the same token, if you go and trying to engage with a person and you don't feel safe, there's usually something that's going to happen down the road. Maybe you blow up, maybe you just disappear because you're uncomfortable you know, and then you have the story. Why don't I have any friends? You know, these are all things that if 
subtly shifted energetically can empower someone to actually navigate in the world in a way that they feel, yeah, safe. Mm -hmm. This idea of a team, like I find that really interesting and but it also brings up like like what is that dynamic and it's something i see often with a lot of parenting of of, of human parenting also with 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 like an, an an owner which is kind of a strange name and their animal um their pet which is also kind of a strange name in a way um but this dance between being a team and like a hierarchy mm-hmm. Because I was mentioning this to you when we were working together, like I, I, I had kind of adopted a cat, although I also don't like to say she's mine. She's kind of free to do whatever she wants. But she became pregnant and it was really fascinating watching her raise these five kittens. Yeah. And like there was these very clear boundaries and, uh, you know, the the kittens alternated between just doing three things, either sleeping, nursing or wrestling. That's all they do. Um, as they got older, they'd also destroy things. <laughs> um, but they would kind of, like, it's interesting because I, I practice martial arts and jujitsu especially. And, and I was like, wow, that's where jujitsu came from. I was just, like, looking at these cats and one would be on its back, like, mm. pulling guard, like, sweeping the other cat over, playing mm. the top game, going for the neck, controlling the head. Mm. I was like, that's amazing. Like, hmm. they're doing jujitsu. But then I realized, no, jujitsu is just mimicking what the cat's doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they, so they were creating boundaries with themselves that they were learning. And then they would take that to the mother and they'd like play with her tail and then they'd bite her and then they'd swipe her. And she would kind of put up with it. But when it got to a point where it was too much, she'd just turn to him and she'd just smack him and the cat would run away. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it knew the boundary. Mm-hmm. And maybe again, you know, it would test. Mm-hmm. And I found it was testing with the, the, they were testing with the mother. And then they would also test like with me. They'd like, mm. they'd go up to something and they'd like knock it down. Mm-hmm. And they'd wait for my reaction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And they'd get it. Mm-hmm. Then they'd go to something else and they'd knock it down. <laughs> no. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, no, it's not that, not that. Okay, well, I'm going to knock this down. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, but there was, there was this set of boundaries and, it's something I found interesting in parenting because it seems like something I've noticed is we've gotten away from those boundaries. We've gotten away from that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And what I saw in the kitten was it was looking for, for a leader. It was looking yeah. for discipline. Like, yeah. what can I do? Because yeah. if I don't know, then I'm just going to do everything. Yes. And that's actually, in the end, going to be very dangerous yes. for the cat because it doesn't know what its boundaries are. Yeah. And so kind of in that relationship, like with a team of an animal, it's... You know, like I was thinking, like, I mean, if we were partners, like, I wouldn't discipline you because mm-hmm. we're equal. Like, yeah. we're, and I would hope you wouldn't discipline me, yeah. <laughs> you know, because there's a dance. Like, yeah. but if we do have that responsibility of an animal, much like a, a parent to a child, it does seem like there's there's some dance of responsibility, of boundaries. And mm-hmm. even, even like a, is it a pack of wolves? I mm-hmm. guess a pack of wolves. Mm-hmm. Like from what I understand, there's a very specific hierarchy. Yeah. 
you know, like you have the alpha, which actually isn't what people think. It's Mm -hmm. not the strongest, but it's the one who's like the best adapted to everything. It's the best leader. The beta is actually the strongest one, but he's the enforcer, Mm -hmm. but he's not a good decision maker. Mm -hmm. His role is just to fight. And then there's the... I don't know, the theta is like the sensitive one mm-hmm. who's like, you know, always listening, you know, okay, yep. okay. it's like a warning. Mm-hmm. And so they each have their role, but if they don't have their role, like the pack doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because again, I'm kind of going on, but I'll also notice that in, in like relationships between owners and, and their animals is Often it seems to me like when that that animal is misbehaving or it's kind of all over the place or it's biting people or just jumping on people, like it hasn't been taught discipline. It Mm -hmm. hasn't been taught like no. Mm -hmm. And that seems like something that's very important. And I think that's something people struggle with because there's this idea of like a teamwork, like where everything's equal and she can do what she wants or he can do. But... Kind of like that analogy of like children to our parents, like I think not only do children need discipline and structure, like they actually long for it. Yeah. I mean, that's even what that, you know, interestingly, like the word disciple or discipline, mm. it means like a student mm-hmm. and a student can't be a student without a teacher. Like mm-hmm. it needs a guide. It, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even we'll get into maybe plant work a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like that's why a guide is so important yeah. to like to say like, yep. like, no, this is too much or yep. not, like, this is, there's not enough. You need to. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting for me because like, like there is like what you're saying, like the concept of discipline, but I see my partnership with my horses, my dogs, my cats as the same, the same exact story that I'm playing out with a partner. Not that I'm like, no, stop it bad. But like, Hey, when you do that, it hurts me. I I need you to not do that, you know, or, you know, if we're going to do this together, I need you to stay close to me so we don't get lost, you know, in, in the city, you know, it's, it's being clear with what your wants and needs are, you know, and I think for a lot of people, maybe that scares them to be that honest and to be that clear about what, what doesn't feel good and what does feel good, but that is the same safety that is created, say, with a, a kitten or a child that is looking for a boundary. You're setting those same boundaries with a partner by letting them know where you're honestly at, you know, what actually feels good or what doesn't feel good, you know, and like, what a relief. Now they don't have to fumble around. Now they know that if they leave the dishes on the counter, that's something that you don't like, you know, and it's not like, I don't like this. Don't ever do it. Sometimes there's negotiations, you know, but it's the same thing with an animal. But I have to know that if I make a request, I will be heard and respected. And so I always try and make requests. Like, so I, I have a saying, like, if you're going to be a good leader, and I don't think leader means I'm always the leader, you know, like, you might be a leader in one situation. I might be a leader in another situation. It's learning how to be both a follower and a leader and being flexible. But a good leader is neutral. Um, they don't let their emotions overtake them. You know, they can go from a one to a 10. You know, if I need to go to a 10 that a dog that's trying to attack me or a horse that might want to run me over, I need to go to a 10, but I need to keep a clear head, you know, and make my energy bigger. You know, 
But at the same token, you know, I need to be able to then know how to be at a two. Like, hey, please stop that. I don't like it. You know, hey, I've told you five times. You need to knock it off. Okay, this is overwhelming me. This is stressing me out. Go to your room. Like, whatever it is, it's like you're still here, but you're knowing how to regulate your energy. There's something inherently, I think, in people and animals that feels trustworthy when they know someone knows how to be at both capacities, but can be neutral, centered, and grounded through it all. Um, And I think that's, like if you're in a team, whether it's human or animal, there are going to be times when you need to ask them to do something. And, And so there needs to be respect inherently built into the foundation of that relationship so that when that ask comes, um, they will trust you enough to yield, you know, and then also knowing that they might have an ask, you know, I'm not always just dictating what's happening when I'm with a horse or a dog, you know, sometimes they're giving me an ask or they're telling me it's too much and then I'll yield, you know, there is communication and relationship. And honestly, like I see the biggest issues with, with kids. I work a lot with kids too, you know, kids, animals, and in partnerships when someone either is afraid to ask, you know, and then they just continue to shrink, 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 you know, and then again, they'll either like disappear or they'll blow up, right? Or someone that has this concept of leadership is like, I'm always the one doing pushing, you know, like, and there's never that give and take. There's never that dance. Um, you know, even, even with kids, I, I might have to set a really hard, firm boundary just so I know, like, I need you to respect me. This is what's going to keep you safe. But then if you come to the table and be like, this is too much for me, you know, like, or, or this is, you know, like, I'd like to do something else. Okay. You know, so how do you be in that dance, but know you have full capacity of being in any situation and meeting it with what is present in the life. Um, yeah, I don't think communities will ever work until people figure out boundaries are a necessary framework um, and honest communication. I mean, it's it's a lot easier, I think, with animals because like their boundary is like a bite or a kick or they'll literally push you out of the space. Um, sometimes I wish I could do that with humans. Um, <laughs> But like we have to use our higher knowledge that we've been gifted to now take that energy. Because if you're if you're just using the words, but you're not actually embodying the energy of like, I fucking mean it. Don't do that. Like the same. It's just going to keep happening. And that's what animals do. They help you to embody the actual energy of it so that when you do bring the words up, it comes up in a way where not only can you feel the energy behind it, but you're saying clearly and concisely, you know, we've got a situation that's making me uncomfortable, you know, um, or maybe something I need clarity on. Can we sit down and talk about my needs, your needs? Um, This is where I'm at, you know, but there is an inherent strength behind it versus like, hey, I'm, I'm noticing, you know, you're not weeding the garden, you know, you're not cleaning up your dishes. Um, do you think you could do that? You know, there's already, and we are animals, you know, so like our animal instinct can tell like, they're not going to follow up with that. Hmm. I don't have to take that seriously, <laughs> you know? And so really learning to, to 
figure out what's going on in us energetically so that we can show up to the table to build and create the relationships, the partnerships, the families, the businesses that we really want. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm always very fascinated by this idea of balance. And something else that came to mind, it seems like there can also be two opposing views of, of one, like the the view that animals are purely wild beings and they should never be in captivity and like any working with them is like pulling them out of their natural environment. And then the other extreme being nature is harsh and cruel and it's the job of humans like to look after all of these animals because they they can't look after themselves on their own. They're, they're domesticated now. And, um, and it was something... Uh, I found like when I adopted this cat, it was something that was on my mind, like, cause she seemed like, she seemed like she was suffering in a way. She seemed mm-hmm. unhappy that like she didn't have what she needed. Um, but I didn't want to like put her in a house and be like, now you're mine. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so it just kind of came to me and I was telling you this, like, it's a little different in the jungle cause most of the walls are just like mesh. So it's pretty easy, but I just like cut a hole and she was super smart, like five or 10 minutes. I just put like food on one side. She walked through. I went through the door, put food on the other side. She went through. And then she's like, oh, okay, that's how I get in and out. And I gave her some food. And, but I, like, I didn't want to give her too much because I also didn't want her to become reliant on that. And then I was like, look, it's up to you. Like, there's this mm-hmm. option. You can come. You can, if you come, like, I'll, I'll pet you. I'll, I'll, you know, we can be friends and I'll give you food sometimes. And for me, that felt like a nice balance of like, she's free. If she doesn't want to stay, she can go. And, yeah. and she kind of does that. Like, you know, during the day, she, she spends her time there and at night she goes out and hunts and then she usually comes back. And, um, but what do you think is that balance? Because like, do you think, do you think there is something that animals gain by being with humans? Because from that other side, it's like, well, no, animals are wild. They right. belong in the wild. That's their natural environment. Right. Um, and then on the other hand, there's that, like, nature is scary. Like, we, we have to protect all the animals. Right. Otherwise, they're going to get sick and die. And right. it's cruel to leave them outside. Honestly, like, there's actually a few things that come up with that. One, I think it's different in every situation. Every soul you know, and it's the same with partnerships. Every person, every animal is different. Every soul is needing to learn something different in this lifetime. And so it's really like <clears throat> more of what does feel true for you? You know, you might have a relationship that works great and they're completely separate entities and they just prefer a, a deep amount of sovereignty. I need to know I can make whatever choice I want in any situation. And that might work. Um, I don't know that I ever feel like it's appropriate that story of like, I'm going to keep you safe from everything that, that inherently takes power away and their own ability to know that they're strong and they're safe and they're capable, whether it's a child, a partner, an animal. And so I think when you have those situations where there is partnering, there is something really powerful that can happen from that place. You know, you can have a dog that's just a dog and you guys are just hanging out and chilling. 
you know, but maybe you want a border collie because you guys want to do something bigger together, you know? And so in that situation, then you do have to go into this deeper partnership and intimacy of asking, listening, yielding, um, and knowing how to build that dynamic. Um, and it's interesting cause I like, I had this random thought the other day. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but, um, you know, it was actually after working with you, like you're just so, you were very calm and centered when you were with the horses. And it just came to me like, oh, that's why society inherently trusts men more. They tend to have a more grounded energy and that can come across as more of a safer leadership. Oh, I can trust you because you're calm. Um, But I think that takes away from the fact, you know, women, for better or worse, we might be a little more high-strung historically because we are more sensitive. We're more tuned into things. And neither one is right or wrong, but when you pair both of those together, that inherent sense of, like, groundedness or calmness that a man maybe typically carries, um, and a woman who is more sensitive and tuned in and also maybe slightly more anxious, you know, what if you pair that together, you know, then you can bring something really powerful to the world, a sensitivity and a groundedness. Um, I do feel like every person should find, try and find the balance within themselves of both masculine and feminine energies, not connected to sexuality or, or gender, but just, you know, that, that structure, that stability, that flow, that intuition and that knowing, you know, when you can pair those and partner those that is a balance that is really powerful. And, and also there's just different gifts that each of us bring to the table. And so if you can honor the strengths and the sensitivities of each one and bring it, you can create something bigger. And it's the same with an animal, you know, recognizing the strengths and the sensitivities of a horse, a dog, and yourself. How do you make a team that really can do something that, that is beneficial? Um, and there might also just be an animal that's just like, I'm happy and willing to coexist with you, you know, and that might be their honest truth. It might also be a trauma response where they felt like being intimate meant their power was taken away from them. You know, that's the case for partnerships as well as animals. And if that's the case where it is based off of trauma, you know, don't tell me what to do, you know? then how do you show them that partnership is safe? You know, that I'm, just because I'm asking you to do something in a moment doesn't mean I'm going to take or even want to take your power away. You still have a voice. If something authentically feels too much for you, I will also listen and back off, you know. Um, And so in that way, not being afraid of partnership, but instead bringing in that honest communication and awareness to see if there is something that wants to build from that place. Yeah, beautiful. So what is that, and, and again, I, I know it, it can differ, but what does that look like when someone comes to you and you both feel like, hey, let's work with horses? Like, how does that, how does that process look? Because... I'm sure a lot of people can't really visualize that or maybe they have an idea of how it is. And so what is, what is kind of like from the start to the end of that process look like? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, the very, very first thing I do is ask that person questions about what they're working on, what they're looking for. And then I send, you know, my informed consent. You know, um, I, I do like to start off with clear boundaries, you know, don't take substances when you come, you know, be really present with yourself, you know, I'm going to do my best to keep you safe. But like, I also need you to respect my training and my teaching, you know, so can I trust that you will listen to me if needed. And so I find that starting starting anything off with clarity is a really good place to start. Everyone just kind of knows we don't have to fumble around. Um, and then we get in and I like to just sit and have cacao. You know, it is therapy, so personal stuff can really come to the table. And that's our chance to just sit and talk. What are the patterns that you see in your yourself um, with your relationships, with your, your business work? Um, what are the things that are alive in you in this moment? You know, are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling unsure? Let's just do a, a drop-in. Let's, let's talk about it. Um, and there might be even opportunities for coaching just from the talking as we sit, you know, and, and drink some cacao. Um, or maybe you just want to be heard, you know, someone who's going to sit with you and not try and fix you, but just be present with your experience and what's, what's been alive for you. And then I go in and I explain a little bit about what it looks like, some of the things we've talked about today, coming into a horse's field, consent, you know, what happens if a horse pushes into your space? How do you set boundaries for yourself, you know? And do you notice when you go to set a boundary, do you actually collapse, <laughs> you know? You might put your hand up or say no, but really energetically, you're, you're literally in inverting. Um, and so we kind of walk through that process through talking in the beginning, um, so you can get a mental construct of what it might look like. Um, and then, honestly, we just kind of go in and I let the person choose what horses they're feeling drawn to. You know, um, sometimes a horse will come through really clearly to me, you know, and be like, why don't you go look at that horse? <laughs> you know, but it's also trusting your own intuition and knowing that there isn't a wrong or right answer. It's literally just curiosity and exploration. And so you might get to a horse and you're there for five minutes and you're like, nope, that doesn't feel good. You know, whatever the horse is reflecting and bringing to the table is actually something I don't choose to go deeper with. And, you know, there might be times when I'm like, I might push a little bit and say, I know you're feeling nervousness. Can we sit with it a little bit longer? You know, can we learn to have our own capacities to sit with discomfort um, and see, see what comes from that? Other times it's like, okay, let's go to another horse then. Let's play out what wants to happen here. And again, it's like going in slow. If you had a million years, how long would you take? Don't have a mental idea of, I want to be in there and I want to connect with the horse and pet him. What if the whole experience is you just sitting next to this horse and not needing to do or create or make anything happen. You know, even sometimes in healing, we have this mental construct of like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to heal this wound with my mother. And that's going to be it. You know, we do the same thing with plant medicine, you know, but then you're taking, you're robbing the authenticity of the moment and what the experience wants to bring to you and not judging 
what that experience is. You know, maybe, you know, if it's plant medicine, maybe that entire ceremony is you crying because, you know, as a little girl, you know, like nobody looked at you and there's nothing that comes up with your mom even. Who knows? Or you're just like in chaos the whole time. That's a medicine. So trust the medicine of the present horses. Trust the medicine, like, of what is alive, you know? So maybe there is something where you're actively going in and practicing your boundaries with a horse, knowing that you can claim space and you can give and ask, and they will listen to you, you know, reclaiming power in some way. You know, maybe you are going in and you're working on moving slowly because you have a tendency to just get in your mind or disconnect from your physical body when you're nervous. And so you rush in to connect, you know, maybe it's okay, let's slow down. Be with your body, be with yourself in every moment. Oh, I'm nervous. Cool. Let's take a second and sit with that. Okay, I'm getting a little more confidence. Let's take a step closer. Oh, the nervousness came back. Okay, stop. Be with that, you know. Um, Or again, sometimes it literally is just going in and sitting next to a horse, um, you know, and allowing them to just sit with you, listening to the way they're chewing, you know, watching their feet as they stomp to get the flies off. Um, And that soothes and calms the nervous system. You know, it slows the mind down. Um, So really, for me, I'm just observing. I'm observing through that whole experience. What am I seeing? Do I need to coach? Do I need to be more hands-on? Or do I need to just back off and let them have a personal and private experience with these animals? Um, Yeah, it's... There is like a certain framework um, and also it's just, it's deeply personal every single time because it's a new moment. Yeah, it, it seemed like there was something deeply meditative about it. When, you, when you're speaking about this idea that uh, like emotions can come up, that, that healing can come up, that, that sometimes a horse can sense like where you're holding on, some people maybe intuitively can hear that, and to some people, I think that's kind of like crazy talk. Mm-hmm. Like, so what? What is that? Like, how would you describe that in a way that that maybe someone can understand? That mm-hmm. like, what's actually going on there? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, to me, it's pretty tangible. Like, you know, think of like when you have anger, you feel it somatically in your body. It is an emotion, it's an energy, but you experience it physically in your body. Maybe there's tightness in your stomach, your neck tights, you know, tenses. Um, maybe your breath is more shallow. Horses will pick up on that, you know. Um, they might notice where you're holding, tensing, you know, or maybe even too loose in certain ways. And, and they might literally go up and like, give you a knock. You know, I had one of the horses, Mama Kia, I was actually in with a client and, you know, I was going through a process, you know, and I was like feeling some grief coming up and, you know, I could feel it in my, my tummy in particular and in my throat where I was just like, Oh God, don't, don't, (laughs) don't let it come up right now. She just came in and she just knocked me right where it was. And I just, I turned to my client. I had to be authentic. And I was like, are you okay if I just take a moment to like feel, feel an emotion that wants to move, you know, and, and they were, they were brilliant, you know, and I think that as well can be really, that's a teaching moment, 
you know, because it shows people they don't have to put on the happy face, you know, like, hold on, I've got something that wants to move. I just, I need to take a minute to just, just be with it, you know, um, so there's that, that authenticity piece too, like just showing up exactly where you're at and yeah, horses, they, (laughs) they will, they will call you out on it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think for them, it is actually a very like tangible thing. They somatically feel emotions and energy because we hold it in our physical body and they respond to that. They pick up on that. I think a lot of people see that in dogs. Like if, um, like people often say, if you experience fear, the the dog maybe picks up on that, and it become it can become more aggressive. Mm-hmm. But then also the opposite. Like if if someone is experiencing like a deep sadness or a trauma, like the dog will often come over to them and mm-hmm. just sit with them. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the 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 animal is perceiving? Uh, are they perceiving something energetically? And I guess it's a bigger question because you even mentioned this idea, like uh, kind of this difference between a cow and a horse. And I think there's this like eternal question, like, like, and it really gets back to ourselves. Like what is consciousness? Like, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a human? Mm -hmm. But then we extrapolate that. Like, what does it mean to be an animal? Like, Mm -hmm. what is an animal sense? What do they feel? Is Mm -hmm. it the same as a human? Is it different? Mm -hmm. What is what is your your sense on that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for me because in a lot of ways I feel like um, I'm more animal than human, which is why I've always felt more comfortable around them. I can understand more. I think as humans we've kind of... We've learned to rely on the power of the mind too much. And our thinking mind is brilliant. Like, I, I love using the mind as a tool... But what it's done is it's disconnected us from our physical bodies and what is actually alive in the moment. And the way that I perceive it with animals is they can literally feel, um, because it is something that happens in our body, they can feel that. Like It's almost like when you listen to really good music and you can feel the notes and the way that they move and fluctuate. Um, it's like that, that symphony that's going on in all of life at all times, you know, and our emotions are are like that symphony. Our minds even are like that symphony. Um, but it does show up in our physical bodies, but also in our energetic fields, because that is simply an extension, you know, of that, that inner symphony. Um, and so to me, that's the way animals are inherently um, receiving and perceiving the world um, is through that somatic and by extension energetic experience and they don't they don't need to use the words they can just sense she's tense she's holding on you know and, and they don't have the word of oh she's angry they just sense you know and they sense that there's an imbalance things aren't neutral And so they might want to come in to help bring balance, you know, or, you know, different animals have just different capacities, just 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 like humans. And so maybe instead of like them wanting to come in and like bring a calming force, maybe they're then picking up on that same energy and they're like, they get agitated themselves, you know. Um, And so you, you can really see 
that that weaving that happens um, in a very real way. Like for me, even though I think a lot of people when they hear the word energy or spirituality, they do think it's like some ethereal thing. I see it played out in very practical ways in animals all the time, and that is how they engage in life all the time. That's how a pack of wolves can know which gazelle to take down. You know, if you if you watch, they will, maybe not a gazelle, I don't think that's the same <laughs> ecosystem, but, um, you know, say maybe a caribou, you know, the, the wolf might go in and, you know, just do something very subtle like this to a herd of caribou and all the caribou will respond. Maybe some jump up really strong or like, <clears throat> and then there might be one that just flinches and pulls back. And they're like, there's a weakness there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this energy concept is actually played out in nature all the time in very practical, very like applicable ways. And that's how we're all kind of reading life at all times, whether we're aware of it or not. But once you can learn how to read that and understand it, you know, like the words kind of become superfluous. People can be talking, but you're like, "Mm, okay, that's what's going on. All right. And that can help inform me about what I want to do, how I want to proceed, you know, and how I want to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a super important point. I like a number of years ago I was uh, I was in Mongolia and I was on a horse and there was something very magical about the whole experience that's that's I'd been interested in like shamanism for a long time but there was something in being in that land where even that word was birthed and and being I don't think it was a coincidence like I was on a horse for a couple months by myself like in this land where there's no roads, there's no mm. telephone line, like mm. you don't see human life. There's no sense that there's humans around and mm. for the most part there aren't. <laughs> mm. um, but there was something very magical about being in that, these like open spaces on this horse and it, it really, it opened up my dream space. It, it, it opened me just to a sense of, of things were, were much greater. And even as you said, like being, being out in the wilderness, uh, being, being in mountains, there's, we're, we're in very close proximity to death. Mm-hmm. And that's a very powerful experience because mm-hmm. it does seem like so much of the human condition, and it makes a lot of sense, is like how do we best remove ourselves from that? How do we create comfort and ease so that we don't have to go into that? And yet... If we go to the extreme, then we 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 lose touch with that that power, that rawness, mm-hmm. that that awe, that that sense that like literally today I could die, mm-hmm. today could be my last day, mm-hmm. very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it reminded me of this, uh, and we spoke about it a little. This movie Horse Boy, where this uh, I think he was an autistic kid. He goes to Mongolia, and he's he's working with the shaman, but. The main point is he's actually working with his horse and it's somehow seemingly making him better. Do you do you think again there's kind of that unknown, mysterious, majestic quality that's happening? Because also some people have like surmised like even being around an animal, a horse, like begins to free the child. Like he, he doesn't maybe feel those constraints. There's something more natural. Mm-hmm. 
I've even heard like just the rhythm of being on a horse, like the the methodic cadence, mm-hmm. the repetitive cadence, mm-hmm. like it kind of puts us in a trance, in a meditative state, which maybe breaks some of those, I don't know, patterns that are going on. Yep. Do you have any sense of why that seems to be a treatment that's used and one that seems to have some success? I, I mean, I, I could be completely wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think it's something specifically for that or it's just it's good for everyone and therefore it's also good for these autistic children as well. Um, it's just since maybe there's no other treatments that really seem to be effective, it's like this one is actually having right. an effect. I mean, I, I honestly think horses are good for everyone because they, they're either going to teach you how to have like clear boundaries and strength or sensitivity or teach you about this basic language of energy that really is going on with all of life that can help inform you how to engage in in your relationships um in your work uh with yourself so i do think it helps everyone i i feel like i have a lot of understanding for autistic kids because there are times when i just feel like because of my sensitivity i'm receiving so much input all the time you know, there's like noises going on and it's like, and I feel it almost like on heightened alert. And I can tell this person over here has anxiety. And, you know, I can tell that, you know, this person over here is like maybe shut down or disconnected. Like there's just, I'm taking in so much all the time. And that is the the sense that I get with autistic kids, that it's just so much being received all the time. They don't know how to process and, and make sense of all that information. And when you're with a horse, um, I mean, there is the practicals of like, they do calm the nervous system, but horses, I mean, horses to me are like the original shamans. They are that sensitive. Horses are taking in information from the environment at all times, but they're also grounded. So how do you have that level of sensitivity and stay grounded in the present moment? Um, and, and it does just seem like they do have the ability to calm the mind down, to kind of rewrite neural pathways, um, where instead of focusing on everything that's coming in, you can just be with your breath be with the horse, be with that steady walking. There's just that one pure moment that you need to experience and be alive for. Um, and, and then, yeah, I don't know. There does seem to be something with, with horses that there's also just something else going on, you know, like maybe they are the original shamans, you know. I've had horses pull pull things out of my back. I had in, you know, pain and they come and they, you know, literally move things for me and all of a sudden the pain's gone. Um, so there is that part too, that it's like, maybe we don't need to explain it. Maybe we don't need to know. Um, but I know for me, that's what horses help to do for me when I'm feeling overstimulated. Um, yeah, they just bring me back into like, let me just pet your fur. I'm just petting your fur. I'm just listening to your breathing. I'm just listening to you eating. And I can just feel my entire nervous system just 
And it's like there's like space and silence again. Mm. <laughs> One of the other things that I know you do is is you work with the relationship between, again, for lack of a better word, like a, an owner and their pet. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that look like? And, and what are what are common themes of, of like what people are struggling with or needing or, or wanting to, mm-hmm. to, I would imagine, like ameliorate that relationship? Yeah. Um, so like as an example, um, this one was a phone client and he he was actually a, a pranic healer as well. Um, and he was trying to do the energetic stuff. He was also taking his dog to like naughty dog training. Um, this dog in particular was presenting with um, aggressiveness, um, hypersensitivity. Um, and And so over the phone, like I was able to, I did a little bit of energetic healing as well, but I also um, coached him. Like, it's not just about the training. It's not just about sit, stay, come. What is the energy that you're bringing to the table? Are you neutral when you say, stop it? You know, are you actually inviting your dog to look at you? Um, When they become stressed and anxious, are they, or like maybe they see a dog down the street and they start to like tense up and react. Are you, knock it off, you know, or are you like, it's okay, it's okay instead of staying neutral and giving just a a little tug on the leash, I want you to stay with me. Be present with me. I got this. We're okay. You know, and so learning how to do those like subtle adjustments, subtle cues. Um, And yeah, with that one in particular, there was a mixture of the energetic stuff, the basics of behavior and training, and then also um, working on with what happened with the guy, what came up with for me, was that um, the, that man had a traumatic childhood. That even though he'd done all this work, you know, there was still something um, that I could feel somatically in his body that was like, I'm not safe, you know. Um, and the dog was actually like mirroring and responding that exact same thing and playing it out, I'm not safe. And so it was also talking to to the man about like, so this is something that is showing up for me that hasn't been fully brought, you know, brought to peace, you know, and so suggesting that he continue to do his own personal work, um, you know, maybe journaling, maybe going back and doing inner child work or whatever, whatever different modality he needed to do to go back to that root of traumatic childhood that created a sense of unsafety and, and knowing that this dog came into his life in particular to also point to him like you know animals in fact more so lately in the last year and a half almost every single animal has come to me um, presenting a particular set of problems whether it's physical emotional um, you know behavioral um, and not a hundred percent of the time but like a really a high percentage the animal is actually like reflecting and mirroring something that the human hasn't healed, that the human hasn't looked at. And so I've been seeing these animals that are just coming in as allies and guides to help us continue to do our work and not be afraid to go to those vulnerable and tender places in ourself. And it's beautiful because, you know, if, if it 
gives us the motivation to do our work because we know it's going to help our animal. I mean, what a beautiful gift is that, you know? Because, like, personal work is scary. (laughs) It's intense. It's intense to go to those places again and to feel those feelings. But if you can see that your animal is going to continue to reflect in a particular behavior problem or a physical ailment because of these pieces in yourself, I don't know, it's almost like there's more courage to lean into it and knowing that you have a partner that's doing it with you. You've got your animal that's doing it beside you. Um, And yeah, sometimes, I mean, a lot of those sessions are over the phone just because, you know, we're in a small community, but it's also in person as well, you know, Um, and it might be that mixture of energetic work. Sometimes it's a little too heavy for us to carry on our own. And so like the energy work, you know, the weeding out can just create more space for those good things to grow. Um, you know, it might be those practicals of the behavior and the training, you know, what are you actually, um, what's the message you're actually giving your animal? You know, um, are you saying no, but it's like a stop it. No, no, stop, (laughs) you know, versus like enough, you know, or are you being too aggressive and then that animal is either shrinking or responding back in an equal energy, you know, are you not actually being a neutral leader? Who knows their capacity of one to ten, you know? Um, and so it's really a tool for us to develop and grow as well. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes I get things that are just like, honestly, just blow my mind. Um, I had a cat the other day. The, the woman um, came to me with a cat, had no behavior problems, but she's like, I would love to just know, like, why this cat came into my life. Like, I literally was walking under a bridge. I saw her, and, like, it was, like, just fireworks. And, you know, and in that particular instance, um, the they'd both been in a past life together. And the cat was actually, like, a witch. She was working with plants. She was working with medicine. And this girl who was now the owner was the apprentice. And, and it's hard to explain because it's just, like, Like, when that happens, it's like all of a sudden, like, this movie reel goes on, and I just, like, see it, boom, 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 you know? And and I'll be honest, even sometimes I'm like, am I making this up? This is wild. But, like, then the animal will be like, stop it. (laughs) Share this information. Get yourself out of the way. And if you feel, like, silly or goofy, like, stop. Like, just share the information. They can do with it what they want. And so... So yeah, in that inf- instance, you know, the, the cat who had been the witch um, wanted to tell the woman, like, I've come back in this lifetime in this body as a cat to help you finish your apprentices. In that lifetime, the woman had left. She, she quit the apprenticeship. She didn't finish. Um, and there was, there was a completion that wanted to happen, you know, and the cat, witch, whatever, was like literally telling me plants this woman needed to work with you know and um you know and it's always good when you get confirmation you know it keeps the crazy at bay like am I making this up you know because like there was a few plants that came to me and she's like I literally just bought those plants last week or was thinking about buying them like and so yeah it's just interesting but it was beautiful too because in that instance the woman was able to tell the the soul of that animal I hear you. I do intend to finish this work in this path. Right now, 
I need to finish getting my physical stuff in place, work, housing, things like that. Um, I want to go on that path, but I need you to give me the trust and the space to do it at my pace. And so there's also like this, this dialogue that gets to happen where everyone gets to own their sovereignty and their experience. Um, and so, yeah, like, honestly, it's always like a mixed bag. Sometimes it's super practical and it's training and behavior tips. And other times it's like, you guys were Vikings together in another lifetime. And here's what you're doing in this lifetime to help each other learn and grow particular lessons. You know, like it's, I don't know. I think that's the part that makes it fun and exciting for me too. Like I get to use all the tools in the tool belt. Mm-hmm. On that more practical level, are there are there kind of common things you see, like maybe advice if someone's listening and they're kind of questioning their relationship with their animal or they know something's not quite working out, like maybe like just some common things you see that could really help in those dynamics? Yeah. Um, I think one of the big things is the ownership piece, um, not of the animal, but of your own experience, you know? Yes, I'm um, anxious right now. This is mine. You don't need to worry about it. Um, Yes, I'm overwhelmed right now. I I don't know what I'm going to do to handle this situation, but I will figure it out. Um, Or yes, I am really freaking annoyed that you're peeing in the house and I don't understand what to do about it. You're barking at this person and I am thinking about giving you away because I'm overwhelmed by this but I want to find a solution together. So having the awareness to like, what are the thoughts and the emotions that you're thinking? Name them. Even just to name it brings you into congruency, um, shines a light on it. And for an animal and for kids too, um, like that, that can relieve so much stress and pressure. Um, I, I see kids and animals as very similar in their level of sensitivity you can think something and, you know, whether they are consciously aware of it, they know, you know. And so to name it and own it lets them know, I will figure it out. Maybe I don't know all the answers in the moment, but it's not yours to pick up. Um, Because both of those groups in particular, they want to just bring balance into a situation. So if there's an unnamed thing going on in the room, an unnamed emotion and nobody's talking about it, nobody's claiming it, nobody's owning it, they might literally like try and hold that to bring a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one I think is a, is a really awesome trick and tool um, that can actually instantly bring some, some pretty cool balance. Um, the other thing is mm, boundaries, but also how to hold them appropriately. You know, one, know your capacity Know what your one is and know what your 10 is. Um, don't be afraid to go to a 10, but can you be at a 10 of, of power and strength while still staying neutral? If you lose your cool, you instantly become untrustworthy. Um, that makes you erratic. That, you know, if you're like, ah, you are already off your center. So can you be in your center and go from a one to a 10? Um, and, and notice, notice what it says about you. Do I feel uncomfortable going to attend? Maybe I had a super authoritative dad, so I associate boundaries and discipline as control. 
you know, maybe your opportunity is to learn how to set a boundary, set a discipline, and not have it be about, you know, I don't know, like controlling or shrinking someone else's voice, but knowing that sometimes you need to be listened to to keep, you know, your family, your pack safe, Um, you know, or at the same time, do you lose your cool? You know, are you able to keep centered and calm and learn how to navigate your emotional state? Um, So really, like, with boundaries and knowing your capacity and holding a center, what is your opportunity to learn and grow? Why did you call in this particular animal who has this particular set of of characteristics? What are they needing you to reflect on where you need to develop and grow and strengthen or soften? Um, Yeah. A common theme in this show is obviously plants and plant work. Um, how has that kind of influenced or changed you as a person and, and also influenced your, your work? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, seemingly on the surface, those, those things seem to actually go quite congruent together. Yeah. It's interesting because the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was capacity. Um, working with plants has taught me how to build my capacity to be present with myself in any situation. Um, and you know, whether it's like out in the jungle and you're not eating and then you're doing a ceremony and all the trauma is coming up or whatever it is, like, how can you hold that center while everything is just feels like it's maybe going up in flames or it doesn't make sense or it's just chaotic or or maybe it's just the intensity of it of whatever the emotion is is there a way that you can also be present with yourself and with the experience um plants really taught me to hold my center um while also going into some really deep dark places You know, I think resistance can be like, I don't know, if we have resistance to any aspect of life, it's going to show up in some way. And and that's not to say that we get there in a day, you know, I'm still learning and evolving, um, but to be able to just sit with what is, um, to be present with what is, um, And I would say plants also taught me about boundaries, too. You know, I remember one diet in particular was all like, you love this man and you need to marry him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, him? You know, and I got out of the dieta and like we dated for like a month and I was like, no. And it also taught me like I get to have my own sovereignty. Just because something is coming into my field, I get to like keep my discernment. I get to keep my center and I am ultimately the one who gets to know and trust what path and what step I need to take. Um, and it's, I don't know, I think it's the same thing with animals. There's like so much that's going on around. Can you just stay? Can you stay with what's presence? Can you have the awareness to know what is a dog or a horse that's authentically telling you to stop versus like, no, I need to push a little bit more. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, plants too, surprisingly, were actually one of the tools that helped me to ground, um, which I resisted doing plant work for a while just because I was so up here and I, I didn't want to do anything that would, you know, cause that to, to be exasperated. But when I finally did hear that calling, it's been the medicine that when used correctly with discernment with the right teachers, um, which I do feel is very important. Um, it, it has been a tool that's helped me to, to really grind, ground and find my center. Um, and that in conjunction, you know, with the work with the animals, it's like, I don't know, it, to me, it feels like it's sped it up because like the animals really do help me to integrate the lessons and the teachings because then I can go out and like sit with them and reflect what's going on with them and like, okay, let's, now let's make it practical. How do I need to show up with an actual animal now to integrate what I just learned in this wild journey that I just had? Hmm. What has been that relationship with you? Because you mentioned <clears throat> when you were younger, you, you had a relationship like with heroin, with cocaine. Mm -hmm. And usually in most societies, we would call those drugs. Mm -hmm. um, although something like morphine, which is, the you know, one of the forms of heroin we mm -hmm. call a medicine. Mm -hmm. And even most of these plants, we, we refer to them as medicines. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, the view in general in the world is very quickly shifting, but even for a long time they were referred to as drugs, yeah. which is also a very interesting word because like where we're from in the States, you go to the drugstore yeah. and it doesn't have negative connotations. Yeah. Although now... I think that term is losing popularity and now it's, it's usually a pharmacy. Mm -hmm. um, so what for you is the difference? Because, you know, at some point you realize like these substances X and Y aren't serving me. Mm -hmm. And yet you, you found these other substances, plants mm -hmm. that are aiding you. So for, for you, what is the, the difference is, is it the substance? Is it how it's used? The the tradition behind it? The mm -hmm. the, the the space that's held? Mm -hmm. Let me sit with that one for a second. It's interesting because I think I think on some level when I was using the heroin in particular on some level, it was used as a medicine. It wasn't conscious, but it was something that helps dull the sensory information that I was receiving. And, and yeah, I wouldn't have known really to call it medicine at that time, but I can look back and see that I had no other tools to learn, know how to navigate life or navigate my emotional state or regulate. Um, and so in a sense, it was a medicine. Um, that being said, um, it wasn't used with intention. It was highly addictive. And I wasn't tuning in to listen, do I need this right now? Like at some point, it just became, I need it. Like it became a visceral thing that I needed to feed it versus me having my own, again, sovereignty and power to make a choice one way or the other. Um, I, I think medicine could also sometimes be classified as drugs. 
you know, because there is that like intention. It's like, just use it to get a sensation, use it to get a feeling, use it even to do your deep healing work. You know, maybe there are times when you're not supposed to use it to do your deep healing work. Maybe you just need to sit with a freaking emotion and feel it. Um, so for me, I think, I think it's sovereignty, knowing that I have a feeling of sovereignty of knowing what my tools are and having a lot of different tools. Um, I've done a lot of stuff in between all this other stuff I've talked about, you know, yoga, breath work, um, you know, cacao, like all these different things, um, you know, tangible therapy, practical therapy, um, like what are the different tools that I need for each situation? Um, and, and using it mindfully, you know, really connecting with it as a purpose and intention of like, thank you for helping me in this situation in this way. And then for me, because I did have those addictive tendencies, knowing when I'm grasping, am I holding on to something, you know, as like the savior, the only way, you know, um, I, I think in my personal humble opinion, people can do that to medicine. And I think that's unfair to, to, to the medicine as well. This is going to be the thing that's going to save me. This is going to be the thing that's going to fix me. You know, like whatever you're doing, hold it loosely. It will be whatever it's going to be. Um, it might be that thing that is the magic breakthrough, or it could be neutral, or it could be something that's actually really traumatizing. You don't know. But I think if you can hold something in non-attachment, and really have a strong center of your own intuition, your own sovereignty, so that in a moment when something comes up, you can look around at all the different tools you have and decide, would I like to microdose mushrooms? Would I like to do breath work? Would I like to go sit with the horses? Do I need to talk to a friend or a therapist? Do I need to take a bath or just watch some Netflix and tune out for a little bit? You know, like, all of those could potentially be medicines if you're using it in that right way without attachment, you know. And yeah, I would say too, be aware of like when you're actually running from something or when you're choosing to run right into it. Yeah, it does seem we're living in an interesting time that even these things are mentioned together, like breath work and mushrooms and yoga, um, that you know, I just remember growing up, like those things would never be uttered in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even at that time, people wouldn't really talk about yoga, but then that became very mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, it seems, it, it, it seems to me, I mean, obviously there's downsides of everything, but it seems quite beautiful that even these things are being spoken of in, yeah. in the same breath now, yeah. as, as you said, as tools yeah. you know, that, that we have access to. So. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wonderful, Leah. Um, is there anything you'd like to address that we didn't speak of? Or mm, Let me ask, actually. I think really, like, the only thing is, I don't know, I, the more humans that I see that are balanced are the ones that aren't afraid to sit in the entirety of the human experience. And so, I don't know, I guess I would just have an invitation for people to, like, stop judging, um, stop judging themselves, 
Um, stop judging the emotional states and learn how to just sit with it and be present. And if it feels like you don't know how or if it's too overwhelming, like find find your team, you know, find horses, find animals, find a therapist, find medicine workers, but find the ones that are going to invite you to feel safe in sitting in the entirety of this human experience. I think that is where true joy is born for them. That seems like a very pertinent message of this time. Stop judging and sit in the entirety of the human experience. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, beautiful. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Uh, it was a pleasure for me to, to talk to you. And it's it's a theme that, that I find really interesting. And mm. I mean, I think even if people aren't so familiar with that idea of like animal therapy, I think there's a deep sense that whether they know it or not, that there's something really healing in that, healing in animals, healing in nature, mm-hmm. healing in that experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And ev- even as you were talking about, like it's, 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 a, it's a microcosm or a parallel to relationships in general, which is also kind of a microcosm for life. Mm-hmm. You know, life is all about relationships, relationship mm-hmm. to ourselves, to others, to, to this, to that. I mean, there's, there's so many relationship dynamics. So that's really beautiful. Thank you so much. If, um, <clears throat> if anyone's interested in, in learning more about you or working with you, reaching out to you, how would they go about doing that? Um, they can go to my website, um, www.leahdietzen.com. Um, or email me at leadeetson at hotmail.com. Yeah. You're still using the hotmail. I am. I am so old school. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, great, Leah. Thank you so much. That was a pleasure. And uh, I, I think and hope people get a lot out of this. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. That is it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Leah. Uh, I very much enjoyed speaking with her. It's uh, something a little bit different, um, but something I find uh, very interesting and, and really fascinating. So um, as always, if you're able to help to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me to continue to bring on these guests. Patreon is a really good way. For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe, and there's a few different tiers you can sign up for. Each one gives you certain benefits, things like early access to shows, uh, bonus material, Q&As. So that's a really big help to all the people who have done that. Thank you very much. And if you're able to do that, I uh, would really appreciate that support. Um, There'll be a link to that in the show notes. There's also the option to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a put a link to that as well in the show notes. And then if you're not able to do that, going on the YouTube page, the Universe Within podcast homepage, subscribing to the show, uh, turning on the notification bell, liking the videos. That's a really big help with the algorithms, helping to get the show out to a bigger and broader audience. And then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts and similarly subscribing to the show and leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help as well. So I think that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm shooting these uh, these last few episodes a bit far in advance because I'm running a, a dieta here in the Sacred Valley of Peru. So I'm not exactly sure of the following guests that are coming on, but as always, uh, I always try and bring on people who I find very fascinating and hopefully you all do as well. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for all the support. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you all on the next one. <music>